Hi, welcome to the Star Wars Lad podcast. I'm Jared, and I'm here with the other two lads, Liam and Sanuk. Today, we'll be talking about The Mandalorian, Episode 16, The Rescue. Dear God, what did you guys think about this episode? Hell of a finale. I mean, <laughs> uh, everything we could have asked for and more. That's, that's how I'm going to put it. Yeah, I'd agree with you on, on most of that. Uh, definitely surprising. Lots of, uh, of things did not go exactly how I foresaw them, but uh, very, very satisfying. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, to be fair, to be fair, has uh, has anything gone to plan in like the last three episodes no. for us? That's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I think, gotten a little bit more grounded than I think w at least I was hoping episode six and seven would be. And then this one kind of wrapped it all back up. Yeah, I mean, there. I feel like there was just a lot that happened in this episode. I mean, there was the longest of the last three episodes. So do you guys want to like um, take it from from the top of, um, you know, the teams, oh, however you'll call it, um, Team Mandalorian um, adjacent, <laughs> the um, the attack on the cruiser. Um, how, what were your impressions of, of this act? I'll be honest, I was quite surprised by all the in-universe Boba disrespect. I mean, I, I know, like, yeah, he's he's got Django's armor, He's a bounty hunter. He's kind of been MIA for so long. But like for us fans, right? Like especially for like someone like myself who never saw Boba as like big time or like anyone who's, you know, worthy of being like considered one of the most badass Star Wars characters. The last two episodes have been like, okay, like yeah, this dude is the coolest. This cool this this guy is Captain Cool, you know, he's perfect with his ship perfect with his armor you know and just seeing him kind of like rebuild himself has also been really cool um but then you just see like Bo-Katan and uh what is it Koska Reeves they're just like <laughs> I've heard that voice like thousands of times you're just a clone like you know your father didn't give you the armor he was just a donor for you like they went they went on him and I was just like dang like like this is not the time to be petty about something like that. Like this is, uh, this is like, first of all, it's it's not even the main thing. Like right now they're trying to recruit you guys because hey, we got Gideon, that he also happens to have Grogu. It's the best of both worlds for both of us. Like we get a chance for what we both want, and then <laughs> just for them to have like that whole cantina fight, I was just like, dang, like is this is this not gonna end up working out? But I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was pretty interesting to see that. Yeah, I loved how this episode started out, um, and when they boarded the Imperial shuttle to get Doctor Pershing, and that all that uh, verbal jousting between Cardoon and the Imperial pilot about the Death Star and Alderaan, I thought all of that was great, um, and it really set up the darker tone that this episode did have throughout um just you know they, they were breaking people's necks <laughs> they were shooting people, after. shooting people after they kicked them down like this was a typical uh rebels clone wars style star wars where they knock a stormtrooper on the head and, and then he's done they would kick them shoot them on the ground execute people um and the, the verbal jousting was just 
the tip of the iceberg with all that too. They're not afraid to hold back. These characters felt probably as real as they've ever felt, especially Bo-Katan. And I was so happy with her reaction to Boba Fett because that wasn't something I was really thinking about. I was just thinking, oh, you know, they're going to team up. But yeah, and then and then so I think um, I just really enjoyed that sequence um, where they were the Katu's um, moths. Moth Gideon's face and his admiral, um, and th- they all just seemed there was like a lot of tension, and I think the buildup of suspense in this episode just worked so well every time, and I feel like I was just on the edge of my seat in all of these sequences. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that was that was the that was the tip of the iceberg for 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 me on Act One. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think adding on to that, like as Liam and you guys, you mentioned, right, there's a lot of verbal jousting and all that. But I think another dynamic that really was like very striking for me was, and I guess it's a bit of a carryover from the previous episodes, was both of the Lambda shuttle pilots, right? Like when we first see them, they're like both like, okay, like they're just like kind of being snippy. They're like, okay, this is. Like, they're both obviously in a stressed-out situation, being fired upon by a gunship. Um, They may or may not know it's Boba's. Whatever, right? But the moment, like, they get boarded, one of them is like, look, you know, I'm not actually with him. Like, and right as he says that, the other one just shoots him in the back. Like, I think it was interesting to see, like, hey, look, even this Imperial Remnant, they have a little bit of, like, a fractured philosophy where... A lot of them understand that, hey, we are the underdogs. We are trying to claw our way back into power. Whereas there's still some like the guy who was taunting Kara about uh, Alderaan and everything. Like those dudes are fanatical in a way like the for- First Order. Like they're like, oh, it's fine. Like we this was just to get rid of terrorists. Like this this was I, I was so pleased to see us destroy Alderaan. Like I I know I know Star Wars is just like a started off as like a good guy versus bad guy light versus dark but to see them like explore even like just a little bit like a people's opinions and perspectives of like big events that we've seen i think it really hammers home that like oh snap like alderaan is gone and that 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 was like probably the biggest thing that happened in um the star wars universe besides the empire being formed after the prequels like that is the thing Yeah, it's for me, it's always weird with Alderaan because it feels like it was so long ago, right? <laughs> because it was 40 plus years ago that that movie came out. And I, I just feel like it's been a reality of Star Wars for so long that it's I have to put myself in other people's shoes when I uh, and I hear them talk about the destruction of Alderaan. And then I go, wait, oh, that was only about five, six years ago now uh, for Cara Dune. So that, that's a fresh wound that I think we could really explore a lot. And I know they've, they've done it in some co- uh, comics, the Leia comic, um, and some books too, but this could be a pretty cool angle for her um, moving forward, especially if her role is predominantly in Rangers of the New Republic moving forward. And just building off of that, I think one of the very first canon books, Lost Stars, like one of the, like, obviously we've, the two protagonists kind of start off on the Imperial side, 
and then they kind of split. Um, but I think one of the characters, I forget his name, but he's from Alderaan. But at the same time, he's also still like a loyalist. You know, he's like, he once he loses Alderaan, like he's broken. Like he's like, this is all my family, everyone, they're gone. But by the end of the book, he's like managed to like, in a, in a sense, he's managed to convince and gaslight himself into thinking like, hey, you know what? They were terrorists. They did deserve this. Like they weren't faithful imperial loyalists. Like none of this would have happened if they just followed the goodwill of the emperor and all that. Like it, it's crazy to see how now more and more it seems that we're reflecting on the destruction of Alderaan. I was like, okay, that is like what broke apart everyone's soul in the uh, in the Star Wars galaxy in different ways. Like obviously, a lot of people were fine with it, but if you were even somewhat connected to it, you've got an opinion and you got something to say. And I mean, that was great. But alongside that, I think some other notable things that stood out for me was like, it's, it's just really nice to see the slave one fly. It's just, the design is always unique, obviously, but it, it's, it's, it's a real treat to see it after so long. Um, I mean, the last time we saw it was in the clone wars. The last time we saw it in a film was, attack of the clones right like it is nice to see that boba is also like this accomplished fighter and pilot in his own way and i don't know about you guys but i just loved it when he called bo-katan princess i was just like this, this is great like this in a way i've never thought of it but bo-katan is in her own sense like kind of the princess leia of like anti-heroes like she's Let's be real. She started off with some pretty messed up backgrounds as a Death Watch member, you know, openly attacking and killing civilians and a bunch of other crazy stuff. And I know with the Clone Wars season seven, it's like, okay, like, hey, um, you know, it, you know, it's just like, hey, like, she's, she's on the good side. She's here to free Mandalore. But if you actually watch the show and rewatch, you're like, oh, she's not the nicest person and i really liked how that venom that we know that kind of built up her character in the first place was there so that and how seeing how like everyone reacted to her kind of seeing how like everyone was just on edge like the only guy who's like pure of mind here is mando he's here for grogu everyone else is like okay uh i'm gonna say like some witty line or like say something rude to the other person but we'll make it work. Yeah, I feel like that dichotomy of um, intent was was just so stark of of a difference, and I, I feel like I feel like um, it just really separated the episode for me. I, I, I was I was very much in two different places, but originally aligning them like in the same plot. And I love the callback she. Uh, Bo-Katan has uh, when she says that if we had, if we had fought with this much conviction or something like that on Mandalore, then we it would have been taken by the Empire. Um, she says that to Boba, uh, and I think that's going to be a big piece of the show, obviously moving forward. Um, and we'll talk about the later acts soon, but that's I think where this show is going. We had speculated on that before but it really is going to be turning into the ultimate show 
the Mandalorian and not just it, uh, Din, but everyone. And so we're going to get everything that's important to the Mandalorians post-Return of the Jedi happen in this show from now on. Was it just me, but were any of you guys surprised that, like, Axe Woes was missing? Like, what what else does he have going on that's bigger and more important than, you know, freeing Mandalore? Like, was he just, like, at the cantina getting drinks for them or something? And, like, he went out and stepped out for, like, a smoke break, and then by the time he came back in, they were all gone or something? Because I was genuinely surprised that he was just not there. Yeah, he just went to the restroom and it was just gone. Everyone was gone when he got out. I think, it, I mean, it. it's a little odd, definitely. Um, he was he was probably the one that stood out the least, I guess, from episode three of this season out of the three of them. But it it probably does also still hint at the idea that there are a lot more Mandalorians that are aligned with Bo-Katan that are somewhere. Um, and he's off with them, and I'm sure we'll get to see them next season. Oh yeah, I, I, I definitely. I think, I think I was just surprised that when you got probably the actor on standby, like is is this just like a case of like, hey, this is like random Mandalorian int- insert into the party with like a combination of Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves, or? Is he supposed to have a bit of more of like a storyline, and we'll see more of that in season three or something? I, I just, I just found it very curious that he was just not there. But I mean, before we switch over to Act Two, I do want to say I am really digging how uh, Boba keeps on like slightly upgrading his armor more and more. Um, from the last episode, the one thing that bugged me out a little bit was his chest plates were moving too often and kind of like disjointed. Like, instead of moving as, like, one flexible piece, it was like, okay, like, these plates are sliding up and down. But it seems like he's added a vest, like, a very thin one that you can't, like, see unless you're, like, looking at it very closely. And it definitely made the armor look a lot nicer next to Bo-Katan's and Din's, because that that was my biggest worry. Like, once they were all together, like, would he look good? And he definitely did. So I was very pleased to see that. I think they definitely, like, improved on... Um, the whole curve aspect, um, and, and it does fit him a lot more. I think the pictures that you were that you were, you were sharing of um, Samara, like out of costume, he was just he was just so fit, and it didn't really make sense. Yeah, why he yeah, he's got he's he's got this strongman body build. Um, and he's always kind of had that. The only difference is, like, you know, when he was Jango Fett, it happened to be 2001, right? It's He's probably in 2019 shooting this. That's an 18-year gap. So without a doubt, like, it's fair to say you're not going to feel or look the same as you did when you were in your mid-30s as opposed to, you know, being in your late 50s. But regardless i mean he he looked like the man and i i i also love like right when they entered the cantina both him and din they had this like a nice like helmet turn where they both like turned at the same exact way in the same sink and i was just like yeah these two dudes they're scary they're here but oh snap like they're meeting up with the two other armored people in the group like oh everyone like i loved seeing like two of the cantina like people just like run out like okay something bad's gonna happen do not need to be here, but yeah, that was, that was sweet. But 
Moving on to Act 2, though. I mean, obviously, Pershing, you know, he gives them information about uh, the Dark Troopers, about where Grogu's being held. Um, and then their plan is to, like, you know, land on the ship and infiltrate, and Din would go separately under that uh, kind of distraction and find Grogu. And hopefully Bo-Katan would get Gideon and be able to duel him and get his armor not his armor, sorry, uh, the Darksaber. Um, but, guys, this is probably the most loaded uh, part of the whole episode because there just is endless action. Like, I mean, what was your favorite action scene from this whole thing? I, I honestly um, really enjoyed um, just Din getting his, his ass beat, kind of. <laughs> but, like him overcoming it with the with this with the best guard spear um i just really liked that that shock of like din was having so many realizations at that moment where he's like oh no this 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 droid is impenetrable to all my shots and all my you know armor weapons that 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 would prior um got him out of sticky situations um but this was not that time and out of a whim he kind of kind of like that figured out that the spear was was what could have penetrated the droid. Yeah, I really enjoyed that fight too. Uh, I think for me, the highlight is still Gideon versus Din. Um, just seeing the dark saber in action, in live action, is just so cool. Something we've been waiting for this whole season. Um, but the dark trooper fight was also very cool, and it definitely set up the dark troopers as these formidable opponents that we we kind of speculated they would be just based on legends stories but they didn't quite have the uh the beskar armor shell like we thought they would but they were still really damn hard to kill and i thought that was a great setup for the end because i was genuinely on the edge of my seat as uh, at the end of uh the episode i think we also have to remember uh they made a point to say throughout this whole season, like, pure Beskar is, like, what accurately deflects lightsabers. Like, pure Beskar will give you the best protection. Um, and we know that Din's, because man just does not paint his armor, he, like, he's, it's very clear that he's got pure armor on himself. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming the rest of the people wearing Mandalorian armor, Boba, Koska, Bo-Katan, you know, they, they all have good protection obviously we see uh bo-katan get shot at and she handles it well uh even though she's probably like a little limping and gimpy at the end there but it, it's funny because i think there is still a chance it could be beskar on these droids um because they were very resistant to blaster fire and i don't think we've seen any other armor in star wars that's like necessarily like blast resistant but it could be that, you know, maybe this isn't pure best card, but this is Imperial Remnant taking whatever uh, best card that they still have from the glorious Imperial days, but they don't have the same quality or care as, like, the armor would. They probably don't have the same precise settings of making pure best card into, you know, uh, manageable weapons and armor like the armor would, so... I don't know. That's just the thought that I had pop up thinking about it right now. Because 
to me, I was really expecting a bit of a reveal in the tragedy, like, oh, like, these Dark Troopers, they're going to be impossible to beat because, surprise, surprise, they have Beskar, and, like, that's that's impossible to defeat for these dudes that are just running around with guns and jetpacks, but, you know, it, it's it's nice to know that there's still a ways to beat people with Beskar, like, when we saw Din, like, yeah, sure, he, we, he's been getting a little sloppy and all that, but Beskar is only a good deterrent. Like, if you get a good shot at the neck or at the arm or something where he doesn't have an armor plate, like, in his fight with Gideon, he could die. He could lose his arm or something. So it, it, it's, it's a good combination of training and pure Beskar that's really keeping them alive more than anything and i think that's what really allows them to sur survive a fight with these dark troopers um also giancarlo esposito he just killed it in the fight i was kind of worried because he is a bit of an older uh, actor on the series um i also had the same worries for boba but i figured tomorrow was a bit more of like a physical beast and he's done that throughout his whole career as well but i thought giancarlo we've seen him in roles where he's a bit more of like the crazy but like very composed guy it's really his words that are his weapons but man i mean i don't know if he used a stunt uh actor or not but the way he was swinging the dark saber he was whole he was going at din it was it was pretty hardcore and i really appreciated like not only does he that he loves the character but like that he goes hard to like be the bad guy yeah i think his physicality was just Definitely really impressive, first of all. That was the noticeable thing to me, too. I was like, <clears throat> you know, he... he. I, it didn't look like he was using a stunt actor, because, I, I mean, maybe... Because I feel like a lot of them were kind of medium shots of, of him. Um, so I, I feel like it was him. Um, but Or maybe it was just really well choreographed and filmed. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that fight as well. I just felt like the intensity of it was just so on point. The only reason I mention it is because I think when you compare it to something like the Palpatine Mace Windu fight in episode three, one, we kind of have to put some blame on George Lucas for being like, let's get the stunt choreographer today. And now uh, Ian McDermott definitely needed a stunt fighter to like show off a crazed Palpatine and its full power. But uh, if you look at it, like you can see like the CGI mask, especially anytime he turns his head or he's doing like a vicious move. And the one thing that I noticed is, like, frequently anytime he was attacking Din, uh, our, our, our man Moff Gideon seemed to have his head turned around. So it could have just been really good cutting, and that's when they throw in a stunt guy. But if not, I mean, I figured the majority of the fight, though, like, was still Giancarlo, and he, he, was, he was definitely ferocious. He definitely was, like... Not not un unhinged, but he was definitely like giving it his all. And if it weren't for the fact that he's fighting Din, I think he could have beaten. I can see why he probably beat Bokutan in the first place. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Was it was he fought with the ferocity that made you see why he could win, especially hypothetically, like eight years ago, nine years ago, when he was a little bit younger with a full armada of Imperial troops, you could see why he could defeat Bo-Katan and kill a bunch of Mandalorians. Like, he, he fought with that tenacity. Um, 
So I appreciated what they did with that fight. I also loved the build up to it. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little tricked by his by his uh, backstab because I did think he was that type of character that seemed so calculated that he would one send in a dark trooper to go kill them as they were trying to get back to their ship, or two just say, you know what, uh, I'm gonna cut my losses and try to make as few enemies as possible and get this guy out of my hair so I can go on to what I want to do. Um, but I would have been disappointed because then we wouldn't have gotten our fight. Yeah, I think I'm kind of like on the same boat where I was I was glad that he kind of like went back and that, I don't know, it's funny, it was right after, or no, right before he was um, describing uh, Bo-Katan as like a, a, like a savage or something. Um, and you know, <laughs> after him just essentially stabbing or try attempting to stab did stabbed in in the back. Um, but yeah, I, I just that was the fight that we we're kind of all waiting for, and, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm so glad that it happened and how it did. Yeah, I I think adding on to what you're saying, Liam, I I I don't know if I was ever truly sold on him. Uh, you know, possibly being like. Like when he mentions like, oh, I see your bond. Like, okay, like that's that's just some great acting. Like the way he emotes on and that close up of him just emo like like it makes you look in his eyes and you're like, hey, maybe he's got a little bit of heart. Like, okay, yeah, obviously he's a messed up dude, but just maybe somewhere in there, like he's like, yeah, yeah, I could see like him like understanding what Grogu means, and for like. A good two seconds, I was like, okay, like he's not gonna do anything. And then, it, like, as soon as, uh, and then he also makes a point of mentioning, it's like, you have to leave right away. Like, it, it seemed like he was doubling down, like, okay, like, fine, I'll let you go away. I understand your bond. Just like, leave me be. I got what I wanted. And I, I was sold. I, I admit, I was sold for two seconds. And then when he just sees, like, smile and he pulls out the blade, it's just like, oh. Okay, <laughs> you're back at that again. Um, another thing I really enjoyed was just, I mean, obviously it was really cool to see the Lambda shuttle uh, from the uh, crash into the TIE launching bay as opposed to like the side entrances of the cruiser. Um, I mean, that it just, it reminds me of like that solo scene where he tries to get his little uh, land speeder uh, through like the small gap on Corellia and then in the end gets stuck. Um, so I, th I thought that was a good visual callback if that if that was intended. Um, but I mean, it was nice to see Kara. It was nice to see Fennec and Bo-Katan and Koska. And I don't know if it was just me, but I thought the way they handled their progression throughout the fight was really well done. Like the story serves the purpose, right? All these characters have been in contact with Din and they've showed off their skills before and they have a relationship with each other. Um, and I mean, there was nice little banter. Like I, I really like Kara when like her gun gets jammed, like when she's in the elevator, she just like hits it a few times, right? Like, you know, if I hit it a few times, it'll, it'll work. And then she's like, excuse me. And then she just, everyone ducks as she just pulls out the heavy, like repeating gun and just like starts running and shooting everything. Um, Fennec, obviously, they she had like some great physicality. I don't know if it was just me, but I felt like the whole action sequence felt really well done and earned, as opposed to something like 
in um i think it's infinity war when like all the female characters show up or endgame sorry endgame when they're they all come together but none of them really knew each other and a lot a couple of them were against each other at one point in the movies and i don't know that that scene didn't sit with me whereas this scene i was like okay like this was amazing because it served the plot because everything connected well and they they played off each other really well too i don't know if that's just me but that's that's how i felt i 100 percent agree i i never thought about uh endgame in this episode and i think that's a good thing because endgames did feel like a, a moment right they were trying to show something to set up whether it was another movie or to just give a female fans a moment or all of us a moment really but it, it felt like it took you out of the battle um this i i never thought of them as oh it's this group of women teaming up i thought of it as here's the characters that we have going to execute the mission and i didn't think of it once until after it had all finished and i was like oh you know what they did kind of set up that end game type moment but it was so much better just absolutely so much better right and like i guess it also helps that it's not just like a moment it was like they're progressing through a plan they're going through everything like all of that was perfectly well executed i think what really made it even better was that you understood like even if they're not necessarily all on the exact same page like kara's like no we got to keep gideon alive and bo katan's basically like i won't keep any promises you know I'll, I'll defeat him and get my as long as he yields to me right like even if they're not exactly on the same page they are still unified whereas like something in endgame like the gamora that we see in endgame she doesn't know anybody in the guardians group and then she just suddenly like strolls in and like i don't know it it felt it felt cheesy and it didn't seem like something that would set up like a team or like an all-female uh, avengers film whereas this i could be like oh like not only was that great for the story but i'm like oh i could also see this as something that could be possibly you know built off of in the rangers show that comes out in i guess a year or two or something like it, it it really worked for the story and it didn't stick out because it was always planned and well thought out yeah those were just the characters that we have been following it was it was there was nothing out of the ordinary it was just the story uh so i thought it worked really well and i agree the, the whole battle had such perfect pacing it was it was so well done it felt like each section that they went through of the ship was earned and we knew these characters we know bo katan from uh clone wars and rebels so we know what she can do we know that Phoenix's a sharpshooter we know that kara uh <laughs> it's just kind of the rough and tumble one and she'll just go in and and light everyone up but it it felt natural the progression felt natural it didn't feel weird that they were taking on an entire group of of stormtroopers by themselves because of the precedent star wars has really set set uh throughout the years of a tiny group of rebels being able to take everybody out um and and even the finnick car relationship you really see that kind of develop starting in last episode uh and and in this episode they really highlighted a lot more where finnick is the one covering her while she's trying to fix her gun uh, i thought they did all that really well oh yeah oh yeah 
And adding on to that, I think not only were the dynamics already well established coming into it, I think Star Wars just throughout its legacy. I mean, if anything, we have to thank Derek Carrie Fisher for this. Like she really brought like the strong feminine presence, like, you know, doesn't need any rescuing, can handle business on her own, can be a leader. Like Star Wars has always kind of championed like strong female characters um, from 1977 on. So it's funny because I know in a lot of other Hollywood movies, when we see like a big female character moment, like in Wonder Woman or Avengers or, you know, just like Fast and Furious or any big series, like that stuff is cool to see, obviously. But in a sense, us Star Wars fans are just like, oh, yeah, like we've seen that. Like that's expected. If anything, our standards are pretty high because, I mean, a lot of fans of the of the whole Star Wars Skywalker saga, when they look at Rey, they're like, well, I've, I've seen a better female Jedi. Like. I'd, I'd like a little bit more out of her. And some of that is because, you know, they call her a Mary Sue or whatnot. But there's also a lot of us critical fans who are like, I've seen Ahsoka and I've seen how she's developed, who she's become, like her physicality, her intelligence, all those things. Like the bar for female characters is quite, quite high in Star Wars. And I'm I'm only glad that they're pushing that by, you know, introducing group dynamics even more and more with these TV shows and comics and books. Yeah, I agree. Um, should we move on to the final act? Yes. I mean, <laughs> and we know we're waiting for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Moment. Yeah. I mean, who, who wants to take first stab at it? I, um, <clears throat> I was, I was watching with my friend, um, and we, I, I guess I was just, I was squirming in my feet. I don't know, like, they're like, um, you know, X-Wing enters um, their line of sight, and I think Kara was like, oh, it's just an X-Wing, like, big deal, big whoop. Um, but then we realize that the X-Wing doesn't respond, and then that just brings on this such an ominous presence. Um, and... I think at that moment I was like, "Oh no, that's Luke. That has that's Luke." <laughs> just, we were speculating for so long, um, two episodes ago, of who this could be, and I think at that moment I was just, you know, that that sequence lasted for so long of him just tearing down dark troopers, um, but I think the entire time of him getting out of the ship in that security footage to him. Facing Din face to face, I, I just, I was just on, I was just squirming. <laughs> I mean, even before that, like when it was, uh, it, I think the one thing that I was about to like be upset by this whole episode was, obviously Din's plan is to get the dark troopers, you know, thrown out into space, and it's nice that you know we see him fight one. But, like, it's a whole platoon, right? You're like, oh, my God, I want to see, like, the full strength of these guys. And after he defeats, uh, what is it, uh, Gideon, right? There's this whole thing, dynamic, where Gideon's, like, gloating. Even though he's the dude who's been beat, right? His life has been spared. He's like, oh, Bo-Katan's got to kill you now. Like, I know things are going to go bad. Like, he, he's such a big manipulator. He's like... It's about the story. It's not about the weapon itself. Like, 
everything about that, he was like really trying to turn people against each other in that moment. And I think if he had a bit more time, um, he could have done a little bit more damage there. Uh, I think he also knew that the Dark Troopers were capable of surviving, so he was maybe just stalling. And I mean, just just watching his face after realizing, like, wait, why, why, why did my Dark Troopers turn around? Like, what could supersede? my uh what is it uh, coming to save me and the child and and then you just see it on his face and he's oh man he's so scared he there's so much fear in his eyes it's like his lip is quivering <laughs> it's it's oh it was it was great and and then i i don't know i mean i'm gonna throw this one to liam but do you think the reason why like Gideon's word had such an effect on Bo-Katan is so far in this untold Mandalorian story before uh, Mandalore was completely bombed and torn apart and torn to, made into glass basically that when Sabine gave her the Darksaber back in Rebels um, from then on till whenever she lost it do you think maybe her initial rule her first I guess uh, her first term as uh, ruler of Mandalore, do you think it just wasn't respected by other Mandalorians? Or do you think it was the fact that she lost it in a combat that is why people didn't respect her? Like, I don't know. I, I, I could see it being as both. I think it'd be more interesting if it was also like people were already having like whisperings and murmurs of like, hey, she never really won it. Like, we don't have to listen to exactly what she has to say. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I think it's both. Um, I think definitely they're going to, whether this was their intent or not originally, they're going to re retroactively now say that there was a lot of, of how should I put this? Uh, I don't even know how to say it. I guess anxiety about having her as ruler because of her i guess connection to death watch all this stuff they're going to bring back her whole past right her relation to her sister um but also on top of that yeah she didn't win the dark saber and really it was maul who won it and then no one defeats maul for it sabine takes it from him so we we never get to see that passed down, and I think that's why we kind of can just assume that it was okay for her to take it. But yeah, we see we see the battle between Revisla, Maul, and Clone Wars, and how violent it is, and how much the winner is respected by the Mandalorians, even though Maul is not a Mandalorian. Um, and so I do think we're going to go back and really tell that story about her and everybody's refusal to listen to her hesitation to accept her fully as the ruler um, and then when she's beaten by another person who's not a Mandalorian and it's taken and uh, well, I would assume her life falls apart and that's why she's so hell-bent on getting it back um, but I would also say yeah I just I loved everything they did with Gideon in this episode this is why you have Giancarlo in playing this role um he took it he he combined gustavo fring with joker or loki um 
he was pulling the strings the whole time and i loved seeing that um i'm a huge comic book fan and seeing that that bit of joker in him where he's he knows everything that's gonna happen he knows every outcome and he's excited for the new possibilities that this scenario brings him i thought that was such a great moment um i was a that was that brought to me to really one of my only negatives of the episode was i really wanted to see at least how that was going to initially play out because now we've got to wait a whole nother year and i think in hindsight you know that could not even be a negative because we'll get the we'll get the answer eventually but we've got to wait a year to see how Bo-Katan responds to that, how Din responds to that. Um, we get initial glances, really, but, but no definitive, conclusive answer, and we don't even get to see how they leave it. Um, so I really, really want to see that, because that was, to me, the most interesting thing that this episode brought up as a whole. Oh, yeah. I think... I have to strongly agree with that sentiment. It's... I, I'm gonna go back to Luke um, in a second, but yeah, it's it's hard to not consider, you know, just how much that this main plot of Mandalorian is now, you know, squarely focused on, in a sense, the return to Mandalore, the res- restoration of Mandalore now. Um, if anything, like, I know, I know, you know, Gideon wanted a child, maybe he's trying to make himself an evader, like, have force powers, like, all that is, you know, cool. Like, it, it, it is exciting. I, I would have loved to see, you know, him, like, kind of go, like, Green Goblin and experiment on himself before things are ready um, in, like, the next season or something. And that that is still a possibility, I think. But... The fact is that he's captured, you know, he's got a wealth of information, uh, you know, there could be some stuff about the First Order that we could glean from him, but on top of all of that, it's just, hey, like, this dude pulling all the strings, he, he, he is the one writing the story here, and the story now is, okay, didn't beat him, and he doesn't like that he got defeated, but he's like, I know this really screws up Bo-Katan's plans here. Like, without the child, he's like, I can create even more damage. Like, anybody who could have opposed me and these Imperials, right? He's like, well, if I turn them against each other, I got a good chance of continuing with my original plans. It's exciting for me that even though we're... Even though we are losing Grogu, it's exciting to know that the Mandalorian story is still only unraveling and unfolding because of Giancarlo and how much more of a focus I think he's only going to increasingly get in for next season. Um, but I think I want to jump to Jared here and I want to ask, how do you feel about, since you were the one who saw the episode most recently, how do you feel about how Luke looked? I think... I've, I was in love with all of the CG, um, I guess, until that very moment. Because um, you could tell the, um, the um, was it defaking was like kind of, it was, it was a little choppy. Um, just because like, I, I don't remember 
exactly how it looked in um was it the last jedi was that when his younger self was shown okay yeah um i just remember it being a lot more convincing in that film but then again um yeah i guess like i was trying to not think about that but (laughs) just like it was a little glitchy um to the point uh just just because you know how how crisp everyone else is in contrast um i guess his his initial like his initial look was um you know i think i think they were aware of that they were very aware of that and they they chose angles where like they didn't have to show his face as much but they were you know these very um integral moments where you know they had to show his face or else it wouldn't have made sense. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that was like the only point that was a slight negative for me, but um, you know, yeah, the, the motion capture on that wasn't too great. What about you, Liam? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that it looked a little wonky. For me personally, as soon as he took off his hood, I thought it looked excellent, but that was the longest shot we got. And then as we started getting closer and closer, uh, I was like, oh, this doesn't look great. I think it's a step above Leia in Rogue One, but a step below Tarkin in Rogue One, in my opinion. Um, I'd also be because Tarkin's face isn't quite as uh, studied by my eyes as as Luke Skywalker's. But I think... um, for the most part, they did a good job. And ultimately, I didn't really care. <laughs> I was just excited to see him. Um, and I know we had been talking about uh, for the longest time who it was going to be. And I kept trying to bring up people that would hint at Luke without them having to show Luke. Well, I mean, showing Luke, having Luke is the number one option. That was always the number one option. We just didn't think Disney would do it. And so I'm so glad they did this as much as I wish we got to see Kyle Katard or Mara Jade in canon. Uh, um, I knew that probably wasn't going to happen. And I'm. this was always my number one choice anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I I was also on that same uh, fence. Like, ah, they they can't be showing Luke out here, right? Like that that's that's too much to ask. Uh, how would they would they recast with like Sebastian Stan? Like, are they gonna de? I was definitely de-age? expecting Sebastian. Yeah, Stan. and then like, are they gonna like de-age? Um, uh, what is it, Luke? But then like, we didn't hear any leaks or anything about this. Whereas we learned we we had heard about Ahsoka basically the minute like season one had ended. And then we'd learn about Boba pretty soon after that. Like, if it were to be Sebastian Stan, like, great. They they kept that as a secret. But I think also Star Wars fans in general are a little bit more wary about recasts. Um, in a way, it is inevitable if we want to continue doing stories with these characters. Um, I think Alden was a great Han, but he doesn't necessarily look like uh harrison ford and you know solo was a bit more of like uh by the numbers book um and now and then when you think of uh i don't know i mean i guess you could say the one that was handled really well was billy d and 
uh, Donald Glover as Lando. I think it also helped that we heard from the fans, like how they had conversations together. You know, they have a strong respect for each other. It also helps that Donald Glover is also in his own right, like one of, I guess, today's greatest artists in multiple fields. Um, Donald Glover was also kind of a band cast as well before. Yeah, yeah like people wanted that, right? Like, it, it's almost like how they wanted him for Miles Morales um, if they ever did that Spider-Man in, like, the early 2010s. Like, he, he was a guy that fit a lot of people's idea, right? And it was also nice to hear that the dude grew up playing with a Lando figure. Like, it, it, like everything was set up there. Um, you know, I... I, I I hope that Mark Hamill gets to graciously retire from Luke whenever he feels like it. I don't think he's quite there yet. He might be done with like big appearances. Like I know I, he said he's done after the sequels, but I I mean he did voice this character. Um, I think they did some tune tuning or something with his voice because it doesn't seem like his lines were like picked apart from like old. Uh, Return of the Jedi or Empire and New Hope lines. Um, yeah, no, I think so. It, too. it seemed it seemed clean, and I don't think they'd have someone else impersonating him when they could get the actual dude. Um, yeah, I agree with what you guys said. Like when seeing the CGI, you're just like, uh like you know, it's it's not great. And I I, I think they did a really smart choice of. Uh, kind of doing this reverse parallel of Luke with Vader's hallway scene where, you know, Vader is a, a human turned machine killing all these uh, people. And ver- whereas Luke is this very human and uh, not non-robotic character killing these robots. And he is a peaceful Jedi at this point too. Like, you know, he's probably very much against harming other people. So that whole lead up, obviously, where he doesn't announce himself, comes all the way up to the bridge, destroys all these dead troopers. And I love his unstructured fighting. You know, they didn't change up his fighting style too much from Return of the Jedi. Like, they respected that uh, level of, like, flimsiness that he had to it. I love that. And then when you see the, like, hood reveal, you're like, oh, snap. Like, that, that is, like, a deep fake. That is a CGI uh, mocap version of, uh, on top of some other actor. Um... And like like Liam said, like the first shot of the hood taking it off, perfect. I, I was like, wow, that that's amazing. I think the it, I think it worked for me. I I know like there are things like like the sides of the face that this didn't seem right. Obviously, the eyes are not perfect. The mouth didn't move as fluidly as it could have. Like whereas like Tarkin's was like exaggerated at some points. Um, his was like his his it seemed like he got like uh botox in his face and like he couldn't move his like lower jaw or something but i mean all jokes aside i thought everything landed like i i first of all i couldn't care less um that you know it wasn't perfect because everything leading into it was perfect for him and it was just like wow luke skywalker's tying into mando and there was one shot that didn't land it was the final close-up after he picks up grogu and i was like that if you're gonna put if you're not if you're gonna stretch your money to the maximum like you need to have this final shot you know really sell it and i thought that was honestly pretty weak compared to the rest of them um yeah like you like you guys said i think we also have to consider this is small screen star wars 
and it's been an amazing season of live action Star Wars and live action Star Wars is fairly new for us too and as impressive as it is it still is hard to beat you know like hundreds of millions of dollars for a movie budget and you know physical sets as opposed to using the volume um you know just the time spent for something like this would be way more than when it comes to a tv show so all all things considered yeah it's not amazing but that's not to say that it can't improve it i mean i figure at some point tarkin and leia and maybe even the rise of skywalker luke and leia and then now this luke will be tuned up it it seems in line uh, with the george lucas traditions of tampering with his old films improving them visually as he sees fit this is one of the few things that i think they have to do as the technology gets better right i i, I want to be able to say like in my 40s or 50s like hey that looks spot on mark hamill and i cannot tell the difference other than like one or two things yeah i agree i think i've been um, looking to the ilm stuff and yeah their their processes have been a lot more streamlined um in terms of mocap and i think uh, I think we'll definitely get there by by the time we're forty. Yeah, I say forty. I say forty because I'm like, I'm hoping that this isn't a big priority for them. Like, uh, it's great that they're innovating so much, but you know, going back and fixing up things shouldn't be like the norm for stores as it became for George Lucas in the '90s. Like, hey, special edition, hey. I'm gonna put uh, Hayden in place of Sebastian uh, or uh, Sebastian Shaw in Episode Six as a Force goes. Like, th- like those things are are things about George Lucas that were more personality quirks than things that they should aspire to continue and emulate. Um, so I'm hoping that it's a bit on the back burner and that they put all their focus on like new Star Wars projects. Which it obviously would everything that was announced last week, they clearly are. Yeah, can we? Let's just get right into like speculation for the future, real quick. Because what do you guys think Luke's reintroduction into Star Wars does for the future? Because for me, and for a lot of fans out there, I think um, we want to see Luke. We do. We want. Like, this was the story everybody wanted to see in the sequels, and it wasn't limited by, you know, Disney's storytelling. It was limited by the fact that all these actors are older, and you can't tell this story you had to take. It had to take place 30 years later. But we all wanted to see how did Luke start his academy? Um, what happened to, with Ben and, and uh, Luke? How's their relationship deteriorate? What What does Luke do for, like, the first... 15, 20 years before Ben turns. All these things, I want to I want to know the answers to, and I don't think they're going to relegate it to books or comics. Um, like these are the these are the most important and and beloved parts of the original Legends expanded universe stories, and I think we really are going to see a lot of them come back and a lot of them put into this current Star Wars canon and a new version that those old stories can love 
and new fans can see those for the first time. And I really do think with the overwhelming positivity around Luke showing up, uh, even with the CGI face, I do think we're going to get a lot more Luke stories moving forward. And I think that also could tie in very well to seeing Mark Hamill back eventually as they close to the Force Awakens age Luke Skywalker. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you bring that up because I feel like it was such a feat to even cameo him in this show. Um, but I think as the technology does get better, like as mocap technology or just the process um, gets a lot more streamlined, I feel like that's definitely a thing that we could be seeing in the future. But also Mark Hamill just working his ass off. Yeah, I mean... I, I am fully on board with seeing I, I I think we have to also consider when Luke says in The Last Jedi, I will not train another generation of Jedi ever again. Does that mean that he's already trained one before Kylo's or like, you know, what exactly occurs in his very early years? And you know, I I mentioned when we were talking about Kyle Katarn or Cal Kestis and all that, like if we're bringing back Legends characters, as opposed to continuing off the canon characters that we know that are Jedi in the Imperial era, my hope was that, like, you know, they're more like, they're more like passengers, you know, passerbys for Luke. Like, you know, they stick with him here and there, but then they go off and, you know, let the Force guide them in their own journeys. Um, and obviously with Luke picking up Grogu, like, we're not expecting Grogu to be like, oh, I need a... The Force is calling me to go to this part of the galaxy. No, it, it's not. But I don't know. I, it, if we're going to see a Luke series or something in live action, I think we have to prepare ourselves for an actual recast. I don't see Mark Hamill doing this, and I don't see the technology being good enough for him to be you know, doing like a Jedi Academy series or anything. I think... I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a appearance in in the books for the Ahsoka series. It feels like one of the biggest thing that you know more two thousands onwards fans have been clamoring, prequel fans especially, is that since Ahsoka eventually does survive all the way past Return of the Jedi, wouldn't it be great to see the son of Skywalker meet with the apprentice of Skywalker? Like that's that combination alone. I feel like is going to drastically change the direction of Luke's, you know, training of the next generation of Jedi. Because um, in Legends and stuff, like, he is alone. He, there are, like, Jedi here and there, but they're not anything notable or special. Um, they're mostly kids that end up following him as he uh, takes over the Masasi Temple and Yavin 4 and you know, the whole XR Kun story and then Jedi Academy, all those things, right? Like, that's how it starts off. But it seems like seeing as both Ahsoka and Luke have now met Grogu, at some point they got to meet each other. And I'm... My gut is telling me that as wonderful as it may be for, like, Ahsoka to find out that Anakin was redeemed and all that, I don't know if they're going to be on the same page. And I think that's a really interesting way of kind of differentiating force users in this era yeah i totally agree i i'm i'm dying to see that uh 
I would be fully on board with the Luke recast, um, especially because, like I said earlier, I think it would only be, it depends how early you do the show, but it would only be like the first 10 to maybe 15 years post Return of the Jedi that you would need a new. If you wanted to go back and tell the story of uh, the fall of Kylo Ren to the dark side and show it all from Luke's perspective uh, and, and definitely expand on that because the, the comic, while very good, is very, very rushed and has a lot of room for uh, expansion. And so I would say that you could bring back my I mean, obviously, you don't want to wait too long, but uh, you could bring back Mark Campbell at some point to play a little less active Luke, a Luke that was more in line with teaching at the temple. Um, and we really, I really want to see how he gets to be the person that he is in the Last Jedi, because just, just his his temple burning and his nephew turning to the dark side, well bad things i feel like there's a lot more to that story there's a lot of cu a culmination of events that happened with him that shook his faith in being a jedi and being the jedi and being the guy that everybody wanted to be the savior i think there's so much more there um that we can explore and i i'm just thinking back to <clears throat> even what we're doing right now with vader and obi-wan and the obi-wan um, where it kind of doesn't fit the canon, but if we want it to, we could mess with it to really say, well, you know, 10 years, I guess that's long enough for them to say, for Vader to say, when I left you, I was but the learner, now I'm the master, um, if they do fight again. So if we're messing with the sacred texts of the originals, we could definitely mess with the sequels and figure out ways to stick patch that story up to where when we watch the last jedi we know everything that this guy's got through and we say yeah that's absolutely a justifiable reaction for what happened to luke there's so much of the complication of ryan johnson's take on luke which again i i really do love it i think i think the traits that he really hones in on are some of the more earlier luke skywalker traits before before his first duel with vader when he finds out that vader is his father um and I, it's my belief that people you know parts of their personality come and go and at this early point after the rebellion wins the galactic civil war yeah obviously we got luke in his prime doing his crazy stuff so sebastian stan you want to take over and mark hamill they both have both been pretty open to it that's great it's just, I, I don't know. I feel like, one, that we don't know what causes that transition, but it doesn't seem like it's just like, oh, he sensed that Kylo was bad. Oh, Leia's warnings. Oh, um, maybe his first batch of train. I, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot more to his story that was not intentionally supposed to be there, but we're going to somehow figure out like 20 years or 15 years after return of the jedi we're gonna figure out how to transition him well there and 
hey, maybe High Republic has something to do with it. I think the one thing that Kylo Ren comic has hinted at was um, by that time when he was really training Ky- uh, Ben, uh, he's a bit more of a... I mean, he's still powerful and all that, but he he's a bit more of a scholar at that point. He's more He's more focused on improving his education than it is about restoring the Jedi um, in terms of being that leading figure and maybe maybe he 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 said like in the last jedi uh i mean he said in the last jedi like hey you know the jedi of that time you know allowed themselves to fall and be duped by palpatine who ended up being darth sidious at the height of their power and all that but from all the teases we've been getting from the High Republic, we've been getting the idea that, you know, all these seeds were planted centuries before. Palpatine just managed to take everything and put it together and in some ways accelerate it with Anakin being in the picture. But, you know, I mean, maybe Luke leans too much into High Republic teaching and maybe there's some flaws there that he unknowingly starts to ingrain into his own philosophy um maybe the jedi that he does train leave him maybe they don't find like maybe it's just like they don't feel as dedicated as he does to the path um we've seen leia and bloodline with her lineage reveal harming her political career so maybe maybe that harms his legend of being luke skywalker Uh, i mean there's there's it feels wrong to say but it seems like in order for Luke to get to The Last Jedi, he's going to have to get the Clone Wars treatment of just bashing and hurting Anakin at every single angle. I feel like that's going to happen with Luke, but in in an even sadder sense, I feel like a lot of it, it's going to be self-inflicted. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, and I'm just dying to see that. Um, but... Uh, there's one more thing I'd like to talk about slash speculate about. Um, and we talked about the future of this show, The Mandalorian, with Bo-Katan and, and the struggle for power on Mandalore and with the Mandalorian. Uh, we talked about Luke, but we didn't talk about Grogu, who's now with Luke. Um, you guys think... We're going to get him back in the show next season because I sure do. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think this is going to last too long. Um, I think it's a great idea, and maybe Grogu's return is the very end of next season. But I would be really, really Disney has surprised us a lot lately. But I'd be really surprised if they let the uh, of the cash cow that is Grogu go with still at least a season to two seasons left of this show. Yeah, I, I think, um, I, th- I don't know if I know too much about just Jedi lore in general, um, but like, why would Luke abandon him as an apprentice? Or, or not as an apprentice, but as a student. Um, like, I guess that is my, that's my, that's where like my speculation kind of comes to a halt because like, Given Luke's resentment of of training Ben and everything, um, I just really don't. I just really wouldn't know why he would just give him back. <laughs> you know, Luke clearly doesn't die, but maybe like 
it's the whole Ben scenario that will not, um, you know, let Grogu go or, or is, you know, Ben, that's another Order 66 Anakin situation. I don't know. It's it's tough because I I am really happy that Disney actually allowed story to take a precedent over merchandise. Like obviously it's a cash cow. Grogu is a cash cow. Like, but if if Disney didn't respect Filoni and Favreau uh, for uh, for their you know belief in the story, we would have been hearing about Grogu way before the show started. Right? It was. They were willing to forsake a whole holiday season's worth of shopping just to keep Baby Yoda hidden in that very first episode of The Mandalorian. Um, and then in this case, the season finale, right? We didn't think that Ahsoka was going to take um, Grogu. Like, there was a possibility, yeah, but I don't think any of us were, like, ever convinced that that was going to happen. Um, and... We could honestly say, like, oh, it's because she's not a Jedi anymore. Like, you know, we have to think about our story and all that. If they wanted to, honestly, I think they could have just, like, bypassed that and been, like, Ahsoka's at a different point in her life now, and she's wiser, and she can teach. Um, but the fact that they brought in Luke and, I mean, Luke is the cons- is the Jedi of this era. Like, he he has to be training Grogu. Like, if you if he shows up, he's going to take Grogu. Right, he and he's he's gonna do everything he can. Like he says, he'll defend Grogu with his life until he's ready to master his own skills. But I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm really happy Disney and allowed Filoni and Favreau to write a story where they could honestly take out their own cash cow. But as, as Din says, he hopes to see him again, and I, I. I don't know. I is it just me or do you guys feel that maybe early Luke is much more of a flexible Jedi master if to put it that way. I think I think what I'm trying to say is like, you know, when allowing Grogu to see Din, you know, maybe allowing for visits or anything like that. I feel like that might be his motto as opposed to by the time that he's training Ben, it seems like he's very much the prequel um a, a prequel jedi version of luke where he would be in his robes at this temple right these kids are only with each other and separated from their families at this point i don't think he's really influenced by his father's upbringing by obi-wan or anything but maybe maybe i guess peeling off of that maybe he takes the advice of obi-wan and Yoda or Qui-Gon or whoever it may be and that unwittingly leads him more into prequel ideas of what it means to be a Jedi leads him to really push to explore more and more of the past in order to rebuild a Jedi which in turn clouds his own judgment his own pure will of being what a Jedi is um like, but at the same time, when we see in the Last Jedi, he's got all of those ancient Jedi texts, but he never really read them, right? Like, I don't know. Lucasfilm has his work cut out for them, and 
having Grogu as his apprentice, right? That also brings up the fear of like, hey, does he just leave the Jedi or is he one of those apprentices that Ben kills when he leaves the temple, right? Like, now do we have to consider that Grogu's fate has already been predetermined? Like, there's just so many things that story-wise would be, I don't know if it'd be good, but they'd be depressing and make sense more for like the tragedy of the the fall of Luke's legend. But at some point, the Disney cash cow reigns supreme, right? Like it, it has to say like, hey, no, Grogu is too valuable for you to kill him, right? He's only like going to be, what, 80 by the time the sequels come around? He's a teenager. Like, don't kill a teenager. He's got the chance to be the future Yoda, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I think as much as I love Baby Yoda, he definitely puts a wrench into and any easy paths in storytelling. It's just hard now. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to me is going to be when they bring him back, because I think they absolutely will. I think very possibly it's like episode seven or eight next season. I think that's when he shows back up, because I really don't see this show finishing without him. Um, and while I don't know where his place in the story would be, if it is about reclaiming Mandalore and deciding who is the king of the Mandalorians or the queen of the Mandalorians, um, I don't know where Grogu's place in that is, but he's such a fundamental piece of Din. And while we did get such a great ending to their relationship, it's more than just a quest for him i would be shocked if we don't get more of that um like you said it is tricky because if you have more grogu does that mean more luke and how much luke do you want in this show that's where it all gets interesting and i think at this point luke is also very scattered as a master like i think he's he's put the he's putting the work into finding people who could be jedi and maybe less so to focusing on teaching them. Um, and maybe Rogu is one of the last people or beings that he finds for his academy. But I've always imagined this version of Luke kind of being like, well, I've got so much to do. It's all on my shoulders. I've got so little time to teach everyone. And that's kind of why people fall by the wayside. And so I would think that he has a lot of apprentices just kind of show up and then go, ah, it's not working out with me and Mr. Luke, so I'm just gonna head out of here. Yeah, I, I mean, and is he gonna is he gonna abide by, like, the prequel Jedi's version of, like, oh, we only train them when they're young, right? I don't think at this point he can really be a stickler for that sort of thing. But by also, there is, they... The prequel Jedi do have a point. It is easier to train kids when they're young, right? To mold them, to shape them into strong, well-rounded Jedi, right? You get someone like a 25-year-old recanonized Mara Jade, right? And all of a sudden you have to deal with her being a bit darker or a little bit more Imperial-based and, you know, relationships with Luke. Like, that's another thing. Like, are we going to see a Luke that is 
just going to be a sage, right? Like an Obi-Wan or, or are we going to see like, kind of him get his own Obi-Wan treatment where Obi-Wan has a past romance with Satine? Like what's, what's going on there? Like they, the, the character of Luke at this point is very much assured and he's probably being guided by the force. But, you know, the force kind of is all encompassing and asks a lot of one person. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe he's part of Rangers. Maybe he's part of Soka. Maybe that was their one and done appearance. Maybe Grogu has the potential of being a Mandalorian himself because he is part of uh, Din's clan, the Mudhorn clan still, I guess. I mean... There's there's so many ways to take this. Um, I coming into season two, I think I had a general sense of what was going to happen. Um, and season one it was so low stakes that it was always going to be a bit more about like developing their relationship and slowly introducing like bigger threats. But season three, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen and. I guess this is a great segue, but like, not only are we getting season three, I guess, on Christmas Day, but we're also getting the book of Boba Fett, right? That post credit scene, which is the first for Star Wars, right? Like, guys, I mean, what do we, what do we think about that? Like, what's going to happen? Is that, is that like an event limited series? Is that going to, what, what's Boba going to do, right? I don't think uh book of Boba Fett cannot tie in with the Mandalorian. And so whether that means it'll be multiple seasons until and a part of that Ahsoka Rangers of the New Republic Mandalorian uh final arc where they all cross over big event. Um I think the show is going to be the success of the show will dictate how many seasons it is and that might be true of a lot of these lip these event series or limited series um but where they could say well if it, if boba fett's nearly as popular as the mandalorian will keep going um i think that's a possibility especially because boba fett has become such a big part of din's uh group where last season we really just had one character for the most part a part of his group and that was Cardoon. I guess Queel could be a second one. Um but even uh Weathers I'm flanking on his name. Uh Grief Karga even doesn't really join until the end when he has to. So um Boba Fett's been such a big ally that I don't think he could do anything without at least Din knowing or Din being kind of a part of it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jared? About Boba? Sorry. I mean, this dude is basically Boba the Hut now, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I like, was the... Um... I guess was the hut that was there like was that a callback to a previous character? That that's not a hut. Not? That's Bib Fortuna. That was like the advisor. And he just got really he got really chonky, right? I mean, he he was obviously on the Jabba diet. 
Murphy. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know the lore of the huts. So, like, I don't know what it means necessarily. It's, um, like, to be a hut. And, and can you be, like, self-proclaimed a hut, too? Well, I don't know if he's going to, you know, try to take over hut space or uh, the hut ruling groups. I think... I think he just kind of took the mantle on Tatooine and maybe he rules Tatooine as a crime lord, right? Um, I think one thing that I felt like this episode was cautiously setting up was, you know, Bo-Katan and all these other characters, they're, they're, they're kind of shafting on our, our guy Boba, right? Like, obviously the fans have always had like, uh, oh, he's either amazing or like, oh, he's overrated. But I think it's fair to say the general consensus for a lot of us is like after these episodes is like, yo, he is that guy. He's crazy good. Like he is Boba Fett. Um, but now that he's killed Bib and taken over the throne, essentially, I wonder if not only is he going to be a crime lord, but maybe he kind of creates his own like his own house, right? House of Fett, kind of like. Uh, Clan Kreese or Clan Ren, maybe he creates, creates, uh, creates House Fett or something like. Like, like oh, maybe, maybe, maybe he's. I don't know. Maybe he's like trying to connect his Mandalorian culture. Maybe not. I mean, he doesn't seem to care too much. But at the same time, I don't think we're gonna ignore the softer side of Boba Fett that we saw in the last couple of episodes. It's nice to be reminded that this is still the Empire era Bobo who was killing people if they had a bounty on them. But I I don't know. He's also another character that the writers have it out for them to not only show what happened after Return of the Jedi, but also combine his Clone Wars and prequels era uh, mentality, you know, give a new perspective on working with Vader. And then now that he's after connecting with Din and other Mandalorians, like, what does that mean to him now? Like, I mean, I, I'm hoping it's a limited series. I could see it being more, but I, I mean, it could, it could be just as big. I don't know if it'll necessarily tie into season three, but just seeing Boba kind of evolve as a character is something we've got in our, like, our first, like, like first portion uh, portion of like you know like we got a quarter portion kind of like ray and the force awakens now we're waiting for like the whole three course meal of like what it means to be boba fett yeah i like that idea of <clears throat> kind of like him him having uh this continuous story of, of kind of uh more cultivating these morals and everything because i i i think we we all kind of had this prior conception and I guess the rest of the galaxy too of, of who Boba Fett was um but I think him kind of ruling with an iron fist but also having like I guess you know morals um I w would be an interesting thing to see as like a development I think too he could also end up being the reluctant one to help save Mandalore and then Bo-Katan has to go and ask him for help uh, when that time comes, and that's how his show connects with all the other shows, The Mandalorian, where they could end up forming this team, and then he could bring all of his mercenaries and bounty hunters that are working for him and 
to kind of team up and and help them reclaim Mandalore and and decide who the ruler of Mandalore should be. Um, it is going to be interesting because if I'm not mistaken, most all the huts get wars, or at least on that hut council, um, and then even Zero gets killed. So also, where's Rhoda the hut? <laughs> is Boba Fett going to have to go after and and uh, fight Rhoda's forces? But if if Rhoda's still alive, why is Bib Fortuna on the throne there in Tatooine? So it's going to be interesting to see what the state of the underworld is like right now. Because with, with Maul, eventually, he when he loses his power, Crimson Dawn, um, we don't really know that transition yet from him to when he's crazy and and uh, does Jabba or did Jabba have all of the power of all the hut connections and the car- whole uh, hut cartel? Because if there are no other hut uh, uh, hut crime lords out there, then it would make sense. And then Boba would be inheriting a lot if those people choose to work for him. If they if they even get a choice, maybe they're just forced into it. Yeah, I haven't even realized that Stinky could still be a, a player in Star Wars at this point. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I would love to see Bo-Katan have to, like, you know, grind her teeth and, you know, ask pretty please to Boba to help her out and kind of view him as more than just a foundling, but like a very strong and powerful example of what it means to be a Mandalorian. And I mean, the whole show of the Mandalorian has been like asking the question of what does it mean to be a Mandalorian? And she's also got her existential question because she can't, she's now in this position where she wants to defeat Din uh, to be the rightful ruler, but then she's got her own baggage and at the same time, Din's just like, here, I yield, take the sword, right? There's there's so many different angles, you know, what all these Mandalorians, what they can do. Um, I'm hoping in the end, no matter what happens, that Boba strongly connects with his more Mandalorian side. Um, I think it'd be nice. I think that was one thing about his legacy in the Legends that I really enjoyed was, yeah, I guess, I don't know if I'd love him to be a Mandalore, necessarily but i'd love for him to be at a very influential mandalorian um and if it means that he has his own power structure honestly i think that serves him better um he's not a guy who was ever given the privilege of being born on mandalore so but that doesn't mean that he hasn't outclassed plenty of mandalorians that we've seen in all different media um but hey either way i'm excited and i'm also excited to see more of him him and Fennec, I, I, was, I think Fennec's just going to become a bigger and bigger character. She's going to be in Bad Batch. Ming-Na Wen's going to be voicing her there, too. Um, they kind of also have this strange, like, Jango zam dynamic, where in the old legends, um, Jango and Zam were basically, like, mom and dad to uh, Boba. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's going to be, like, a mother-father relationship here. I'm, 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 my gut is telling me that these two are being paired specifically because they're going to have a bit more than just a professional business relationship and hey 
I don't mind our boy Boba getting a little bit of loving. That dude was in that Sarlacc for so long gestating. It does not look good. He needs a little bit of love and care. And after all these people saying such mean things about him, you know, that could help. That could help. <laughs> Those really were, like, the donor jab was such a mean jab. Like, Bo-Katan really goes after him. Like, that was, <laughs> wasn't nice at all. Like, I, I don't blame him for reacting the way he did. But are you guys ready to uh, move on to our new rankings? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should do full rankings, but where do you guys place this episode in the overall um, season series? This episode was definitely my second favorite entire show. I was kind of saying this earlier, but you know, I think the, the Jedi was just a just, uh, beautiful chef's kiss for me. Uh, but I think the intensity of this episode and and how it was paced and subject matter, it just it was, yeah, so good. Yeah, for me, I've been having a hard time ranking this one. Um, it's such a phenomenal episode in so many ways, and I do really, really love it. Um, for me, it's top four. I know my number one, like you, Jared, is still the Jedi. Um, to me, that was the most visually appealing episode of this whole, the entire show. Um, it was one of the most satisfying as a fan and so much character development for everyone. Um, and it really kind of set in motion the events of this whole second half of the season and, and really the future and it gave us so much to speculate on. I just love the Jedi so much. Um. For this one, I had a couple, couple problems with it. Just I really wanted more of that, that, that on the conflict, uh, Bo-Katan and Din. I know we're going to get a lot of that next season, but I felt like it was kind of just brushed under the rug for a big Luke reveal. Um, and I also wanted just a little bit more between Grogu and Din. I love their final moment, but um, I wanted to see like his reaction when he when he saves him because we didn't really get that. So there was a couple of things that I thought they missed a few moments. Be an extra two, three, four minutes could have wrapped it up in a bit neater bow because we did get a a very much so stereotypical cliffhanger um, where the you know, we don't even we don't get to see like a final ending to this episode. It kind of ends with Luke, and while I thought that worked super well, uh, there were a couple I was really hoping for that we crushed under the rug a little bit. But still, definitely a top four episode, and it it might end up being my number two um, by the end of the week or with a third and fourth watch. So, absolutely love it. I I mean I love the Jedi I I really do and my gut is trying to say like hey the rescue episode sixteen number one and my my head is saying no no calm down like as amazing as this was you have to also understand that a lot of it comes from being the appearance of Luke and the announcement of the Boba Fett series 
I, I will say it's I, I don't know. I was talking to Liam about this um for a season finale, I think good season finales wrap up a lot of things, but also leave you pondering what's next and give you teases for that. And I thought last season's finale did a really good job, especially with Gideon pulling out the Darksaber and everything. Um, yeah, I think another two minutes would have helped with this episode uh, to make this a bit more well-rounded in the final Din moments with Krogu and the final... How should I put it? Uh, the final... Uh, resting place of Din versus Bo-, Bo Katan for at least this season. I think that could have been a bit more fleshed out too. But at the same time, it's like I see the season one finale as the alien equivalent, and I see the season two finale as the aliens equivalent. It's like, what do you want on each day, right? Like, do you want a really nice uh, small scale story with its great ending, or do you want the all action-packed season finale of like an intense and galaxy-expanding season two, um, and in that same sense, I I guess it is a little bit of like a comparison with the Jedi. Do you want something that's a bit more small scale, and is the original payoff of the series of like, hey, this is finally the Jedi that um, Grogu is meant for, or do you like? Luke Skywalker, because he is still in everyone's mind and heart the biggest Jedi around. Um, so I'm going to say 1A, 1B, interchangeable. I really wish I could say, like, hey, this is quite clearly my number one. It's not. But it's very hard for me to drop it from being number one either. So, I mean, I'm just thankful, man. This is a great time to be a Star Wars fan. It was since 2015. It was since Disney bought it. It's always been a good time to be a Star Wars fan, in my opinion. It's just more so now than ever before. Um, I guess a good it, now would be a good way to transition into like any updates with our Star Wars journey. Some quick updates. Um, Liam or Jared, have you guys done anything? Don Tark. Getting a little bit more. I think I'm about through. Um, it's phenomenal. Uh, James Lucino is such a fantastic star wars writer arguably the best ever um he writes politics really well too and i love being inside of the head of tarkin and see him manipulate others but also try to figure out what everybody else is thinking um he's constantly playing chess with his opponents and i think that's really great um so looking forward to seeing how the book ends uh i did finish charles soul's darth vader finally uh that last issue um in my opinion hasn't changed as i said last week i think it's the best star wars comic in the new canon uh it's absolute must read if you like vader if you like star wars um you need to read it it's so good looking forward to charles soul's book for the high republic because i hear great things what about you jared um, I played a little Edge of the um, Galaxy's Edge, but uh, I didn't really, really get too much into it because it's just the same map over and over, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit of a headache. Um, 
but I'm trudging through slowly but surely. Uh, yeah, on my end, uh, you know, I've been I read reread uh, Obi Wan and Anakin comic book series, which was Charles Soule's first dig, and I don't know. I think the story there is very solid. It just the art style is very distracting. Um, I think it's the same artist who did Shattered Empire, and I don't know. It's very pretty to look at, but the action sequences just really confused me, and the world that was there just needed a bit more clarity. And I felt like they could have spent more time with both Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, I finished Queen's Peril. Second half is not as strong as the first. And it's unfortunate because I didn't realize, but the book leads directly into and runs concurrently with The Phantom Menace. And while that was really cool, right, it has a tendency of like jumping into different point of views of different characters. And Anakin literally would have like a two-second line of like, man, Anakin really liked flying, right? It doesn't even mention that he's like attacking the control ship. It's just the line is literally, Anakin likes flying. Next time we see him again, Anakin really likes flying. And I don't know, I, I really liked everything with the handmaidens. And there was some cool stuff with the two handmaidens left behind on Naboo that I really liked that story. I wish there was a bit more from the Padme angle, but yeah. I mean, it wasn't amazing. I'm I'm reading Queen's Shadow now. Um, I'm hoping it's better. I've heard it's a little bit better too, and it's a bit more focused. But I think, uh, what is it? it? I think it's fair to say that E.K. Johnston has a very strong grasp of an understanding of who Padme is. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to doing that. Obviously, we had this episode. It was my priority, no matter what. Um, Played a bit of a B-Wing and TIE Defender in Squadrons. I really like the B-Wing. I'm just not that great at fighter classes yet in Squadrons. And the Defender is very powerful, but a little hard for me to get a grasp on like what's a good component, what's a good way of playing the, the ships and whatnot. Um, I guess... I guess that's all my updates. I guess now we can also transition quickly into what else we've been doing. Um, I, I guess two weeks ago I saw The Big Sick as a movie. Um, it was pretty good. I like. I never realized Kumail Nanjani was that great of a character actor. I mean, and the character was himself, but it was very nice to see what he was able to pull off there, um, telling his own love story. Uh, I also watched. Uh, the Squid and the Whale before that. And that's a very strange Noah Baumbach film. It's like very like sexual, but like in a very aggressive way that I was not expecting. And I didn't necessarily like because all the characters are also just assholes in different ways to each other. Um, yeah, I mean, besides that, it's been pretty Star Wars heavy from my end. I might watch a movie tonight. I'm thinking maybe Sound of Metal or something, but... Yeah, that's that's from my end. What about you guys? I haven't really watched anything, <laughs> to be honest. I feel like I've, I've been thinking about this, and I'm like, I don't, yeah, no. I've just been um, editing some some movies and just short stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, nothing nothing too crazy. I've been watching a lot lately, <laughs> uh, a lot of like classics. Um, well, first of all. Day when Lucas film announced the Willow show. 
I decided to check out Willow. Um, big fan of fantasy. So I was really excited for it. And while it's entertaining, I definitely enjoyed watching it. Uh, and it was really cool to see Wark as a leading man. Um, I was surprised with how little imagination was in it. It felt like as typical of a fantasy movie as you could possibly have. And that was coming from George Lucas and Ron Howard. So I was kind of disappointed with that. I was hoping that even if the movie got great, we'd still get a really cool world. And there wasn't much about the world building that made me too excited for this TV show. So hopefully the TV show's a little bit more interesting. Um, but then on a better note, I watched a bunch of classic films. I watched Touch of Evil, which was an Orson Welles-directed movie. That movie's phenomenal. Um, everything about it, the way it looks, it's one of the best-looking black-and-white movies you'll ever see. Uh, Orson Welles kills it. I did not recognize him at all. <laughs> and then his performance is just so haunting. Um, I also watched Harakiri, which is a Japanese film. That was fantastic. And I, and uh, Ron, which is a, an Akira Kurosawa movie. Um, all great movies. Highly recommend all three of them. Very nice, very nice. Well, I think that's end of Mandalorian for us. So obviously our format's going to change moving forward. Um, thank you to everyone who's listened so far. We crossed over 100 listens and whatnot. And uh, Liam, if you want, you want to take us away? Yeah, sure. So this has been, what, episode seven of the of the Star Wars Lads podcast. Crazy. Um, so thanks to everybody who's listening. And stay tuned because we are going to have a lot of cool new topics in the next few weeks leading up to Bad Batch. Uh, a lot of our personal opinions about Star Wars and, and the film, particularly because we want, talked so much about TV and the future of Star Wars on TV. Um, we'll really get into the crux of what Star Wars is and our opinions on the films. Um, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, look forward to next week. So we'll see you all then. Thanks.